Welcome to another episode and a new season of This Week with Sabir. Today is season three, episode 51, and I have Sarah Young uh, uh, on the show today. Sarah is the author of Expansive uh, Impact. Uh, th this is the book right here. Uh, it's available on Amazon, and she's the founder of Zing uh, Collaborative. Zing Collaborative is a boutique leadership development company that works with organizations, teams, and individuals to create expansive impact, we, which we will learn about today in this episode. Sarah is grateful to work with leaders spanning industries and roles from executive leadership to construction to manufacturing to high growth uh, startups. Besides her coaching, she's a two-time, two-time <laughs> Ironman finisher and a certified professional coach um, from, from two different organizations, uh, International Coach Federation and the Coactive uh, Training Institute. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sabir. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So I want to first ask, what, what is, let's start with Zing, uh, Zing uh, Collaborative. What is that first? Let's start from there, and then we're going to jump into uh, expansive impact. Perfect. Um, so Zinc Collaborative is my company, which I started in 2013. And I, before starting Zinc Collaborative, I was in the corporate world and uh, got really passionate about supporting individuals to make an impact in a way that felt aligned and authentic and uh, along the lines of their strengths and how they could best contribute. So um, got really passionate about that in the corporate world. And I also got really passionate about supporting managers because I realized that oftentimes, you know, we're promoted into a role um, where we're suddenly leading and managing other people, uh, but don't necessarily have all of the um, coaching and tools and training that we need to do that effectively. So um, that was sort of my journey up to starting Zing Collaborative. And then um, I started that in 2013. And it's a company where I focus on um, leadership development and people development primarily partnering with organizations and teams. And then I do a bit of work one-on-one um, -on -one and in small groups um, and some other fun fun contexts such as uh, women's circles as well. Very cool. So almost 10 years now. Yeah, which is wild to think about. <laughs> it's been a journey. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so, um, so here's a question, you know, um, well, and, and and it's not necessarily related to expansive. It's more to do with your journey as an entrepreneur mm -hmm. to, you know, when do you know it was the right time for you to uh, start this business, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I had been, well, I had been getting some little clues that I was wanting to do something else. And so I, I really loved my work and I loved the company that I worked at. I worked with amazing, amazing colleagues um, that are just smart and passionate and fabulous. So so I loved a lot of the work that I was doing. But um, at the time, I was working in um, healthcare IT, and I knew that that wasn't my deepest passion um, in terms of subject matter. So I was getting some little clues that I might want to do something else. And so I started pursuing some different avenues. I had looked at some different opportunities and I had um, decided to become, you know, a certified yoga instructor while I was still there. And I, you know, explored MBA programs and all these different things because I was getting some signs that maybe um, I was wanting to do something else. But it was, um, it was about midway through my, my yoga teacher training program that I actually had this vision of how I wanted to be working where I suddenly had this vision of, um, you know, sitting down with people one-on-one -on -one and, um, you know, talking about topics that mattered. And I, I could suddenly see see the way that I wanted to be working, but I didn't quite know what it was and I couldn't quite tell what I was doing. So I kind of kept, you know, exploring and um, pondering and opening doors. And um, then at some point, I, I don't remember how how I uncovered this, but I stumbled upon the the idea of coaching and um, it quickly became clear that that was that was meant to be part of this path in some way. So it was a lot of like peeking behind curtains and opening doors to try to figure out what the right path was and what the right time was. Um, and then it sounds maybe a little bit odd to say, but um, there was there was one day <laughs> in 2013 where I was sitting across from my leader at the time and it truly felt like the clouds parted and, and light was shining through. And I just knew in that moment that it was the right time to make a shift. So um, it sounds perhaps absurd to say that way, but um, for me, I think a big piece of it was timing and 
while I had been peeking behind all the curtains, I wasn't quite sure that it was the right time until that moment when it just hit me um, with a lot of clarity. You know, you know when, when you uh, pivot to having your own business, you know, uh, it, you go through uh, very early learnings. Uh, mm. That's how, that's how best I can put it. You know, yeah, That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> what was, what was the shocker for you? Oh, the early learnings. Yeah. I think there were a number. Um, oh, there, there are so many. I'm sure I, I'm curious if you feel this way too, but it's like, where, where do we begin? Um, one of them for me was around just you know, my own imposter syndrome that I was dealing with. Um, you know, when I, when I left the corporate world, um, at that time, coaching was not very popular. So, you know, now it's just totally exploded and the coaches are all over the place. But um, in 2013, it, it hadn't really become popular yet. So uh, one of the earliest things that I had to overcome within myself was just feeling, um, feeling a sense of imposter syndrome. And, you know, when I would be surrounded by some of my former colleagues, um, they would say say things along the lines of, oh, so are you like a life coach now? Oh, you're like a life coach. And and the way they said life coach, it was just like, um, it, it was never really a term that I resonated with anyway. Um, and the way they said that, it just like, I, I didn't feel confident in myself um, at that time. And so I had to really overcome a lot of those kinds of feelings. Um, you know, at the beginning, I had a lot of ideas in my head around what success looked like. And, and um, I had a tendency to conflate the idea of impact with revenue. And coming out of the corporate world, I had a very specific idea of what success was, which was tied to a very specific revenue number, which was completely arbitrary now in hindsight. And so, you know, I had to work over the years to untangle the idea of impact and revenue. Those aren't the same thing, but it can be easy for me to conflate those. Um, and then I think, you know, at the beginning, uh, I had this idea of how my business had to look. So um, I remember thinking when I first started my business in 2013, I needed to wear like a black blazer when I would go in and talk with CEOs. And um, I used to do that. And then I, I realized, you know, that's not really who I am. And you can see today, I'm not wearing a black blazer. And um, so finding my own path of how can I show up in a way that's authentic to me and, you know, do the work that I want to do in a way that really feels an in integrity? Um, those were those were just a handful of the many, many learnings at the beginning. <laughs> you know, one, one of the big uh, transition challenges most uh, entrepreneurs face when they go from like like yourself from a corporate world into going on their own. Right. It's the infrastructure that they have around them when mm. they are in the corporate world. Mm -hmm. Things like uh, things you, that you take for granted. Doing the payroll. Yes. There's no one that's going to write you the paycheck. You need yes. to not only write the paycheck, you need to figure out where the paycheck is going to come exactly. from. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, other things like accounting, yes. where mm -hmm. if it's taxes that need to be, you know, that sort of infrastructure type things, you cannot pick up the phone and call IT, mm -hmm. your IT. <laughs> mm -hmm. You yes. need to figure out, or you need to talk to somebody in your life who understands technology. So, um, uh, there are things like that that when you are in a corporate setting, and that's a bigger one of the biggest transitions when you go in on your own. All of those things are structures around you that you don't have. You need to build it out. You need to build that foundation, or you could rent it. You know, uh, you know, from an outsource model or service model, a fractional that somebody could provide you with that sort of a help. You know, because. It, just like I'm sure like you, you and I are very similar in that we have a certain skill set mm -hmm. and we built our business around that skill set, mm -hmm. you know, but, but our skill set is not accounting. Our skill set exactly. is not human resources. It's not, uh, you know, um, I, I don't know, website design, you know, right. <laughs> all of those kinds of other things. Our, our focus is on what we focus on, you know, and that's a, that's one of the biggest transition challenges most people face because before you would pick up the phone and call David and Jim and Cindy, and they would handle all those things for, for you, you know? Mm -hmm. It's such a good point. And, um, you know, I think what comes to mind most immediately when you say that is we had the most phenomenal, um, you know, IT department where if the printer was broken, I called my beloved people in IT and they fixed my printer for me. And there is no IT department, you know, it's like, and I, I always think of that scene in whatever movie that is where they're like taking a baseball bat to the printer. Oh, and I, office space. <laughs> yeah. The I movie. feel that way <laughs> because you're right. And I think, you know, I like that you use the word infrastructure and I think, um, 
you know, that's something, not that it's a deterrent from starting our own business, but I think it's something that we really need to think about because um, those things take energy and sometimes they take time and they take money. And especially at the beginning, we likely don't have the, the resources to just hire all of that out. And um, so transitioning into that place where you're fixing your own printer, like <laughs> mm -hmm. that's like not the, not the most joyful part of the entrepreneurial journey for sure. <laughs> so you start the journey in 2013, mm -hmm. right? And um, you say, okay, you know, this, this is what I would like to do. How do you determine, because you go through a certain amount of iterations. I've, mm -hmm. I've done it myself for the past several years now, you know, you go through iterations and you figure out what's the right thing. What's your kind of going to be your signature signature thing, mm -hmm. but it, it's a journey. You, you need to get there. You know, how many of those iterations did you go through and how much did you pivot from the original idea from 2013? Yeah, it's a great question. So I would say the through line of my business has remained very consistent. So it there's always been a through line around, um, you know, leadership development and supporting people in showing up fully as who they are in service of making the kind of impact that they want to make. That's always been, you know, consistent from the beginning. And interestingly, there are certain things that have been uh, very true also from the beginning. So the first program I ever ran um, back in 2013 was in my backyard um, with four women. It was a women's circle, and I still today run women's circles. And you know the format has evolved and the flow, but I've I've loved that since day one, and and that's always been part of my practice. Um, you know, since early in my business, I've also done uh, leadership programs for organizations in house. So. Uh, you know, I had a, what, my first one that I ever did. I and and that's evolved and and grown over time. So some of those things have um, have stayed really consistent in terms of the through line, but the you know some of the structures have changed and um, some of the the offerings have changed. And something that I've you know that I continue to work on in my business is kind of around the eighty twenty rule of you know what's the twenty percent where I can have eighty percent of the impact and probably about three or so years into my business, I had a bit of a, a rude awakening where I went through and I looked at, um, you know, what's everything that I'm currently doing? And I, I had it all on a list. And then I looked at, you know, how, how joyful is this? How impactful do I feel like I'm being? You know, how's it, how's it serving my business in terms of revenue? And I found that there were a, a number of things on that list that I was putting 80% of my time and energy and love and care into. And then when I saw the data, I was sort of horrifying to realize, um, you know, this isn't my highest impact work. Um, it's not serving the business in terms of the revenue. Um, you know, there are all these other criteria. And it's like, it was stuff I loved doing, but I really had to make some hard decisions. So I think, you know, continuing to ask those hard questions and modifying the structure accordingly, um, those have been some things that I've continued to work on. And, and as someone who uh, has a tendency to say yes, um, that's something I still have to really work on um, today as well. Yeah, when, when you start any of these journeys, right, in the beginning, especially if, if you're well-versed in that topic, right? Mm -hmm. You go like, I'm going to provide everything. Exactly. And that's one of the biggest mistakes you could make, you know? And, and, and the quicker you can get to a place where you can identify that one thing that sets you apart from the, from the herd, then that becomes your signature, right? Mm -hmm. uh, well, and I think otherwise... sometimes you have to say yes. I think sometimes you have... My opinion is I think you have to say yes sometimes to figure that out because we might not know what that is, but it's like if we do put our feet in multiple, you know, tip our toes in multiple things, we can we can sometimes learn that. So I do think sometimes the process of saying yes helps us to learn and identify to then get to that one thing. Um, what What's your thought? Like, I know you work on this a lot. Do you feel like people, do they know that out of the gate or there's some exploration that goes, goes along with that. I mean, when they, when they work with me, I'm sure working with you, uh, my focus tends to be on revenue growth, you mm -hmm. know, yep. and I focus my clients on specifically on the tasks that help them build awareness. Mm -hmm. if, the, if it's not revenue growing, it's awareness that organically is going to build a brand. It's important. Mm -hmm. You need to yep. do that. So that's great. Yeah. Um, and revenue generating things that need to be, and maybe it's in, there's an imbalance between the two or within yep. each one of those things that there is imbalance. So I actually help guide them and you go through that exploration because you and I have gone through that experience. Mm -hmm. We can guide people through, uh, through the, those stages so that they, they can at least, you know, not make kind of the mistakes that they would make, mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 
those mistakes are not cheap mistakes. You, you're losing time. Yeah. You're losing money you know, on top of it because you think you're investing in the right things and yeah. you end up actually hurting your business mm -hmm. and hurting yourself too, especially when you're a solopreneur, you know, when you're starting out, uh, you know, those, those mistakes tend to be very expensive mistakes uh, that, yeah. that you will do. Uh, in my personal case, because I went through the journey myself, mm -hmm. uh, year one, I said yes to, I'm a chronic solver. I've said yeah, that yeah. to people before. Mm -hmm. That's a phrase I've used before. Mm, I like right? that. I'm a chronic solver. So if you throw a problem at me, I'm going to figure out every aspect of it that we need to solve. Yeah. Right. But the problem with it is now, if I'm solving that for one client, I cannot take on <clears throat> yep. five clients that I need to take on in order Absolutely. to grow the business, you know, and, and grow my brand. Mm -hmm. uh, so as the years passed, what I've learned is, you know, let me find a niche where I can excel yep. and find people who are extremely good and they work on other aspects of things that I don't want to spend time on. Yep. I want to partner with them. Yeah. Identifying those partnerships and collaborations. And that now you have a referral network mm -hmm. that they connect with you and you connect with them mm -hmm. in order to solve the bigger problem. And then you become one of one of the strategic units of solving yep. the problem, not necessarily you're part of every part of the solution. Then then, then you're doing, you're trying to please everybody and yep. you're not going to, you're not going to win. So every year I've actually looked at my services. I look at it on an annual basis. Mm -hmm. I, I get my learnings throughout the year, but on an annual basis, as soon yep. as the calendar turns, uh, I, I decide to pivot and, and focus and, and bring more focus to my business. Mm, I love that. And, you know, a couple of things that really stand out about what you said, you know, I love, I love how clear you are and, and the gift in identifying for everything we're doing. Is this about awareness or is this about revenue? And, you know, I call it a stake in the ground. Like for anything we're saying yes to, can I clearly say yes to why I'm doing this? And if it doesn't fall into either of these categories, maybe it's just joyful and that's that's great too. But like, do I actually know why I'm doing stuff? And then I think the cost, you you mentioned for, for solopreneurs, especially um, someone said something to me recently, which really was like a light bulb moment for me where we were talking about meetings and um, I was saying something about all these requests for meetings that I have. And, and, you know, the, the comment was, well, if someone's working in the corporate world and th they get paid either way, like <laughs> whether they're sitting in meetings all day or not, they're still going to get a salary. But, you know, for, for us, if we're running our own business, that's not actually the case. And so if we say yes to this meeting and that meeting and this random coffee and that random thing, it's like, actually that's taking away from, you know, time that we could be investing in having the highest impact and serving serving the greater good. So I really, I really like the way you said that. Um, one question I have for you when you talked about referrals and partnerships, do you have that? Is that something that you do formally in your business where you have like formalized referral partnerships or do you just um, kind of refer out to trusted colleagues or how do you set that up in your business? I mean, my network, I've, I've worked with them for a long time. So mm -hmm. there's a, a, first there's a trust level in my network so the huge trust level mm -hmm. so they trust their clients to me or their businesses to me because some of them are just they are the business owner you know yep. they don't run an agency or you know um and and vice versa i i trust that i've worked with them i've worked with them time and time again and i know that let's say let, let me use an example mm -hmm. um i do e-commerce strategy for revenue growth right uh so let's say somebody owns a shopify store and they come to me and I, and based on that strategy, I see that one of the biggest problems that they have is the site is not designed properly from mm -hmm. a consumer perspective, you know, because mm -hmm. the thing is in this world, 2022, right now, this year, um, consumers at the center of the universe, it's not the brand. It's not, it's none of the other things that used to be true in 1935, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. in 2022, it's, it's the consumer. So if you pay attention to the consumer, you're going to win. So, and if that business needs uh, the site to be redesigned, I have, uh, you know, in my network, Shopify developers from mm -hmm. one to two person boutiques to uh, gigantic agencies. You know, mm -hmm. I have them uh, depend it's right size to the client mm -hmm. and their budget. So based on that, when they have to execute my strategy, the fir first part of it is fixing the foundation, right? Mm -hmm. Then I, they say, could you recommend a, a Shopify developer? Mm -hmm. And the answer is yes. What's your, let's discuss the budget and yeah. I'm going to connect you with the right partner that can help you. And then, and, and I do have in that sense, then I do have formal referral partnerships mm -hmm. and, and referral program 
mm -hmm. uh, back and forth so that, mm -hmm. you know, it, it falls under that. But the thing is, it's, it's vetted. It's, it's yeah. people I've worked with 10 plus years. <laughs> so it's not, it's not something that I, someone I have met or I'm, I just found them on, on, on a website and I'm giving them a link, you know, that's yeah. not the case. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, thanks for sharing that. It's something that, um, that I'm just always curious about because different different entrepreneurial colleagues of mine have set it up different ways, you know, in terms of uh, kind of just passing things on to having more of a, a formalized partnership to, you know, another model where you're sort of overseeing things and bringing in subcontractors. So I always think it's interesting to hear about how people set that up. Cool. So you're, you're going through all of, um, you know, in this journey, 2013, you're going through these, this um, journey and then I'm sure that you're taking plenty of notes because yeah. right? <laughs> Sarah in future is going to write a book, right? Right, right. When, when did that inspiration come to you to say, okay, you know what? This is great. Now I want to, I want to document this and I want to, I want to actually put the book out. Yeah. So the, you know, since I was very young, pre-business, um, pre-having a business, I always thought, you know, writing a book would be an, an interesting thing to do just as a sort of life goal. So that that was always out there. But then much more functionally, uh, I started to identify that perhaps there was a need for, for a book or something like a book a few years into my business. Because what would happen was I would create content for something and then I would go deliver it. And then um, someone or a group of someones would, you know, be exposed to the content and then the thing, whether that was a keynote or a workshop or a program or a circle or whatever it is, that would be over. And then all the content would just go into my Google Drive and then it would sit there and then it would sort of decay <laughs> in my Google Drive. And so that would happen over and over and over again. Um, and, you know, for me, I relevance is really important to me. And so anytime I do something, I'm always, you know, adding to it or sprucing it up or you know, thinking about what's timely in this moment. And so um, I was always sort of freshening things up every time I would would deliver something new. And I started to become very frustrated with myself because I realized I just had this whole sort of document library of unused um, materials, really, that were just sitting out in my Google Drive. So um, I started referring to it uh, with, a, with a title that a girlfriend of mine and I came up with, which was 999 Tragedies, which represented like <laughs> all 999 documents that were just sitting out in my Google Drive. So I knew that there was some opportunity to do something with those. And, you know, one of my core pillars is impact. And clearly that stuff is not having a lot of impact if it's just like rotting away in my Google Drive. So that that was the inspiration. And then for the next few years, I spent a lot of time being frustrated with myself because I wasn't able to find or create, I should say, I wasn't able to create the time to actually work on the book. So I, I knew that I wanted to do something with my 999 tragedies and I had this idea of a book and um, I had shared that with one of my mentors and colleagues and friends a few years ago. And I said, you know, I really want to, um, I'd like to try to write a book, but I haven't been successful in, you know, creating the time to do that. And he said, with, with very, you know, tough love, he said, Sarah, he said, um, if you really want to do something, you'll find the time to do it. And if you're not finding the time, you must not want to do it that badly. And um, <laughs> it was it was kind of a zinger. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> but I really thought about what he said afterwards. And he was absolutely right that I said I wanted to do it, but I wasn't prioritizing the time to actually work on it. So um, that was in my head. And then um, I really buckled down, you know, like a lot of people did probably in, in 2020 and 2021 with the way that things shifted during the pandemic, um, which created a bit more space to to work on it. Yeah, it's like uh, someday. Yeah, exactly. Any, any sentence that starts with someday. Exactly. Today sounds like a good day. Exactly. Yep. Yep. <laughs> What's wrong exactly. with today? Today exactly. could be a good, could be the start of that day. Exactly. You know? What's that uh, expression? Like the best the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago and the next best time is today or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. So what is uh, like an ideal flow to your day to, to make it an impactful day mm. from your perspective? Yeah. So ideally I wake up really early. So I like to wake up anywhere between four would be probably the earliest, um, anywhere between like four and six 30 typically. So I like to wake up early. And then for me, the morning is just the most magical time of the day. So that's when I like to, you know, do my writing and, um, sort of, you know, connect to ideas and just have some time to connect to like my core self. And I do that in the morning. Um, I also like to do my most important work in the morning. So if I have, you know, three really important things on my to-do list, I like to try to do those first thing. So, 
um, ideally, you know, early morning, wake up, have that reflection time, lots of coffee. Um, I just love coffee and in the morning and then, um, do that most important work. And then ideally, if, if I don't have any meetings in the morning, um, I'll usually work pretty intensely from whenever I get up about, you know, let's say 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. up until about like 10, 10 or 11. And then I'll typically take a break, um, go outside, go for a run, do something like that. And then I'll typically do meetings um, in the middle of the day if I, if I have that ability to do so. Um, it doesn't always totally work out like that, um, with the flow of different commitments, but that's my, that's my ideal day. And then, um, try to wrap up, you know, meetings and pr have a little time to just catch up on the day from maybe four to five or three to five. And, um, then yeah, cook, cook some dinner, um, and, uh, have a pretty low key evening, uh, since I like to get up early. <laughs> no, I mean, that's incredible. Like from 5am to 10am, that's like five hours of like I would say no interruptions, right. <laughs> hopefully, it's especially from 5 a.m. till 8 a.m. Yeah. Unless you have a household of kids and, mm -hmm. you know, people around you, you know, that's a, that's a pretty quiet time. And, and most meetings start after 10 a.m. anyways. You right. Know? So if it's a quiet time, I think you get most out of your time and most productive time, you know. Yeah. What is that? I mean, I have my in mind. I'll share with you what what the, what it is. Yeah. What are the I'd love first to hear first three things you do in your day at 5 a.m. that you mm. feel like you accomplished something for mm. the day? Yeah. So um, first three things, like first would be make make some coffee. That just brings me tremendous amounts of joy. Um, I like to do some sort of journaling or writing practice, and that that might shift a little bit over time. You know, sometimes it's um, something along the lines of morning pages, which comes from Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way, where it's you just write three pages of anything you want. Um, I love doing that practice when I'm in the groove. Um, so sometimes it's like that. Sometimes it might be along the lines of like a five minute journal or something like that. But some kind of ideally some kind of writing practice when I'm in the flow. Um, and then I would say, you know, what makes me feel productive is getting those, getting those most important things done. So identifying what those are and then doing them. And then definitely exercise would be another one for me. And it doesn't have to be a lot, but, um, you know, some sort of movement, I find a huge difference between on a day when I do some kind of movement and a day that I don't, it's just night and day, um, in terms of how I feel. And, um, particularly I find in our environment right now where we're on screens a lot, um, it's just, I sort of start to feel a little, angsty if I haven't had some kind of movement or some kind of time outside, um, ideally earlier in the day. So those are, those are a few things. Um, how about for you? Well, mine are very simple. I'm a awesome. very simple man. Uh, <laughs> as soon as I wake up, uh, this is religion to me seven days a week. First thing I do get up, hit the shower. Yeah. Mm -hmm. First thing. Yeah. Um, so that's one check, uh, yeah. accomplished done yeah. right after I, I put on my clothes after shower. Uh, the next thing, uh, look at my emails Yeah. because uh, I have a separate home office. So I, I go in there. Mm -hmm. It's it's a, uh, I have business on my mind. I, mm -hmm. I basically respond to uh, respond to things. Mm -hmm. I am an early riser myself too. Mm -hmm. But when I send the emails, I don't send them at five a.m. Uh, the emails are scheduled to be sent yeah. after eight eight a.m. Because nice. most people hit their inbox after after eight a.m. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, when they get to if it's uh, business related so mm -hmm. i i finish the email i i do that i bring my inbox down to close to zero it's never mm -hmm. zero but close to zero as possible uh that's just the task is for 30 minutes i don't mm -hmm. take any more than that 30 minutes mm -hmm. i want to get it done sometimes it's less there might be some manual social posts i may need to do for my business i do that so to me that's my accomplishment number yep. two yep. third one i must have breakfast yeah, yeah, I sit down. I have my breakfast, and nice. I, I and I watch early morning, uh, either CNBC or Bloomberg. Nice. I, I watch mm -hmm. that to get yeah. my while I'm eating, yeah. uh, and that's like 15 to 20 minutes. It's done, and then I come up, and then I sit down and start working. So mm. right off the bat, those three things happens every day. You yeah, know? I mean, there's yeah. no CNBC or Bloomberg on the weekend, but but that's my that's my typical accomplishments for every morning mm. and then my day is defined by whatever's on my calendar that I need to accomplish for the day yep I love that and I think that's so I think it's so important I've been thinking about this a lot especially again in the last couple of years because um, a lot of people that I've been talking to there's a sense of overwhelm and busyness and anxiety but not a sense of success and not a sense of accomplishment and I think that that what you're hitting on is so important that even if it's it's 
so small, but taking a shower, having your breakfast, doing your email, like having those small wins early in the day, I really think it creates a night and day difference in terms of how the rest of our day goes. And, um, you know, especially nowadays, um, it's like a lot of people's day is, is, is a complete, you know, part of my language, but it's kind of a shit show, right? It's like you go into work and then suddenly your calendar has exploded. You're triple booked. Like people are adding in meetings left and right. It's like you suddenly have no control over your day, um, especially if you don't have total autonomy over your calendar. But if you get those wins in early, it's like, it's all good. I did, I did my three things. I checked them off. And now the rest of the day can, you know, be what it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and at the tail end of the day, and right now I live in New York. So mm -hmm. even though it's spring, it's 25 degrees out. It's like yep. impossible to walk around and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. as soon as it's spring, at the end of the day, what I like doing is going out for a uh, a walk, you know, nice. yep. uh, just a walk. It doesn't have to be a run. I'm not jogging. I'm not yep. stressing myself out with jogging. Yep. Just walk around just to kind of work that energy out, you know, because you and I sit all day long, mm -hmm. you know, and and because what you referred to earlier for the past two years, the whole world has been sitting in front of Zoom, yep. you know, yep. uh, and, and you do need that movement uh, to get the energy going and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So let's dive now, Sarah, into the book, uh, into Expansive Impact. The um, you mentioned something in there about anti marshmallow campaign. It's first of all, it's a very interesting name, you know. Mm -hmm. So, what is it? And, uh, you know, how might we know that we are facing one ourselves? Yeah, so, um, in the book, I talk about a, a moment uh, in the past when I was working in the corporate world, um, that I that I um have framed as an anti marshmallow campaign and, um, you know, if, if folks are interested in more about that, you know, welcome to read more about that in the book. But the but the idea of the anti marshmallow campaign is um, essentially when we when we receive some kind of feedback um, from someone or the outside world or whatever it is that is in direct conflict with uh, what feels true for us or what feels in integrity for ourselves. So um, it's like we're being told to do one thing or we, we're being told to act a certain way or we're being coached, you know, to to lead in a certain way, but when we really tune into that feedback, you know, there's a sense of um, there's a sense of friction between what we're being asked to do and, and what really feels true in our core. So that's sort of the idea of the anti-marshmallow campaign. And what I find for a lot of people is um, that that can be a really painful moment. It definitely was for me, where we need to decide, you know, do I want to keep walking down this path where I would be meeting the external feedback and meeting the external needs and and you know, meeting external expectations, but I'm becoming severed from myself? Or do I need to make a really hard decision around, you know, the context that I'm in and the path that I'm going on? And I find oftentimes there's a middle path where we can, we can hold both, we can be in integrity to ourselves. And we can also, you know, show up in a way that that fits our context. Um, but sometimes finding that middle path can be can be a bit tricky. So that's sort of the idea of, of the anti marshmallow campaign, um, in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, there's always a challenge, right, with with kind of duality, right? Yeah. When when, yes. um, when you believe in certain things, uh, and now your employer who's giving you your paycheck, uh, you know, you have to do that thing because it gives you the paycheck. You know, um, it, it's like being an air hostess, right, uh, in a, in a plane, mm. but you don't, you hate flying. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, but you like serving people. And to right. you, hospitality is something that you like doing. And that's why, and it gives you your paycheck and gives you happiness, but you just don't want to do it 15,000 feet in the air. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that, that's a, that's a challenge, you know? I mean, yeah. worst of it is when, when your, your, um, um, you know, your belief system is questioned Mm -hmm. compared to the paycheck that you're getting you know mm -hmm. those tend to be pretty pretty tough when uh when you when you are facing that i mean i, I in an ideal situation there if you can exit exit that because the thing is in the long run you're going to end up hurting yourself you know yeah yeah absolutely and you know i think for me in hindsight knowing what i know now i think it it so overall, it was the right time for me to make a shift. But knowing what I know now, it would have been possible to be true to myself and be true to my external context. But, you know, 
I, I don't think I saw that as a viable path at the time. And, you know, that's something that I talk about with a lot of folks in my coaching practices. You know, we think it's, it's one or the other, you know, we have to, we have to stay or go, we have to, you know, leave or, or be in our role and be really unhappy. And I, I think there often is a way to, to show up being true to ourselves um, and, and focus on what we can focus on and focus on our own, you know, sphere of, of influence um, in those environments. But I think, finding that path can be really tricky. Um, and sometimes it can feel like we don't have an option. So, um, you know, tuning into our own values and tuning into our own sense of in integrity and then looking at like, what does it look like to show up in this way? And can I show up in this way? Even if it's a tiny, you know, tiny steps forward um, can be an interesting place to start. Um, and then sometimes the truth is that, you know, there's not a fit and we do need to we do need to move on. But um, I like to kind of think of it as, have we done everything possible to maximize our current surroundings and and make things feel as aligned as possible, we've like you know we've we've pushed on all the doors so to speak and 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 really uh, explored all the options. And then we can make our choice, but um, let's make sure that we've really like made the best of our situation first, and then we can um, choose our path from there. Very cool. The um, um, I mean, I, I, there are so many examples going through my head. I, I think some of them are very disturbing, and I don't want to. Uh. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I can, I'll, I'll express it. I hope I don't get a backlash from it. Yeah. Uh, a, a vegan butcher, you know? Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. It doesn't make sense at all. Right. Yeah. It doesn't make sense mm -hmm. a lot. You know, if you think about that uh, ridiculous example, right. Mm -hmm. Would, would that happen? The answer is no. Like mm -hmm. your belief system, yeah. everything you believe in and support and you're mm -hmm. against now, just because a paycheck is coming to you uh, in that doesn't mean that you have to, you have to, you have to figure out a different way, you know, mm. a, a different lifestyle, because that's not, I mean, meaning that you, you keep, keep your vegan lifestyle, but figure out like your professional lifestyle and, and what you need to do, you know? Mm, yeah, that's a really powerful example. And I think, you know, what comes to mind for me, as you say that is like many of us, you know, many of us have a, ch a sense of choice around that. And so it's like, we would never choose to do that, right? Because it's so in conflict. Um, and I think about, you know, a lot of people who maybe don't, don't have as much of a sense of choice or don't have as much privilege to be able to even ask those questions or think about those things. So um, it, what comes up for me is like, if we are, if we are in a position where we're fortunate enough to be able to be at choice and, and make those decisions, like, um, yeah, how can we choose to, to work in alignment and live in alignment with those things that matter most? Yeah. Now here, here's the other concept, a uh, mirror versus, uh, the window. Yeah. And in the green room, I expressed to you how English is one of my languages. Yeah. And, and usually I confuse those two words, you know, uh, just because, you know, it's something that happens in my brain. I don't know why. So what does this mean from your perspective and why does it matter? Yeah. So this is the idea that oftentimes when we are leading or running our business or just out in the world, our tendency is to look out the window at what's happening out there. So, you know, what are other founders doing or what are other entrepreneurs doing or what are all those other businesses doing or, you know, like what what's popular right now or what's trending on social media or, um, you know, we see it a lot. I see it a lot in our current society. Like, what are those people doing out there? Like, why won't those people do that thing that we want them to do? And so we're looking out there. And the invitation is instead of looking out there, outside ourselves, how can we look in the mirror to think about, okay, you know, what's true for me? Um, what's my own truth? What am I learning in this moment? Um, if I'm feeling outraged at something or someone that's happening out there, um, how can I pause and instead of acting out, out and like being outraged at someone else, um, what's, what's my own learning in this? Or, you know, what can't I be with in this moment? Um, like what part of myself is unhealed or what part of myself might I need to find some peace with so that then I can go out into the world uh, with some of that peace. So it's this idea of like really at, at its core, it's the idea that leadership starts from within and um, leadership is not as much about, you know, leading, leading others as it is about first leading ourselves and, and cultivating self-awareness so that then we can go out and, you know, have the kind of impact that we want to have and develop the kind of relationships that we want to cultivate. You know, it kind of reminds me of, um, I don't know what the chart is called. Uh, it's, it's a chart that says, uh, ability to learn and capacity to implement or something like mm. that. I don't know if you've seen that chart Sounds before, you know, that, um, uh, it, it usually I think about that chart. And the other thing I think about is, um, 
what amount of Sabir is going to make a difference in this mm. person's life. Yeah. You know, because sometimes the answer is, you know what, this person is so into yeah. whatever they're doing, yeah. maybe, maybe something wrong, you know, mm. that regardless of what I even if I spend the next 25 years with them, there will be no impact, you know, because uh, they're yeah. kind of, their mind is set, you know, yep. their mind is set. This is what they want to do to them. This is their religion, mm -hmm. right or wrong. That's what, that's what they believe in. That's mm. it. You know, that, that's what they believe in. And, and, um, and uh, in a professional organization, there are folks that you come across that are amazing sponges, right? Mm -hmm. You throw anything at them. They're willing to learn. And the stuff that you're not even teaching them, they're going to go out of their way to learn it because they're invested, fully invested in that relationship and into mm -hmm. learning that thing. Mm -hmm. While others, you bend over backwards to help them. Mm -hmm. They're not interested. Maybe yeah. th their professional goals and their personal interests are in conflict, you know, yeah. and yeah. those two things don't match. And then you are trying to, as their leader, as their manager, supervisor, you know, VP, whatever, or CEO, you're trying to change something that inherently they, they're not interested in changing at all. Yes. To them, it's, it's a job. It's nine to five. I want to get my paycheck. I don't want to do anything more. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think that's so well said. And I feel like to your point, there are so many examples of that, right? Like within the corporate context, in the, in the flip side as well, I feel like sometimes team members burn themselves out thinking about that too, because they're like, I, I want to change my company. You know, I'm going to, I want to change the culture and uh, I want my company to care about X, Y, Z thing. And I need to take this on as my mission. And like, this is my thing. And sometimes that might be uh, acceptable. And sometimes there might be interest in that, but sometimes there, there isn't. And like um, not taking something on, if it's not yours to take on, or if there isn't that appetite, I think that's so powerful. And uh, you know, thinking about it from entrepreneurship as well. Um, when I was doing more coaching of other coaches, something I would hear often is I need to, I need to figure out how to get clients. And then I need to figure out how to like show people the value of coaching. I need to convince them. And it's like, like, that's not really our job to convince people. It's like, if you know, we can open the door, we can prop the door, we can share information, we can you know, do whatever. But um, if someone's not interested in coaching, why are you trying to convince them? Like if someone's <laughs> not interested in what you're selling, um, there are a lot of people who are. So how can you focus your your effort and your energy on connecting with the people who are open to it or at least receptive rather than like convincing, convincing other people uh, what they need or what to think or what to believe or whatever it is? You kind of reminded me of the movie. I, f I forgot the name of the title of the movie. It's one of, kind of my favorites, but I forgot the name of it. Jordan, uh, the, it's the character Jordan. Uh, I forgot his name, last name. Uh, the guy who defrauded people with a lot of money on Long Island. Uh, okay. There was a movie made, and Leonardo DiCaprio was the was the lead in okay. it. Uh, and 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 the selling technique, uh, it says, "Sell me this pen." Right. I, oh. It's a very famous line. Sell me okay. this pen. And and then uh, he tries it with the one person. The person doesn't get it. They're trying to hard to sell the pen to them. Right. Mm. And and then he goes to his pro guy who really knows his stuff. He goes like, "Sell me this pen." He goes like, "Do you want the pen?" He goes like, "No." Yeah. I, I don't need to. I don't need to sell you this pen. <laughs> right. Exactly. I don't want to yes. waste my time. <laughs> I don't want to yes. waste my time. You're you're not interested in buying this pen. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I love that. I I had one of my clients tell me a few months ago. Um, he he said it with love, but he was like, "You're the worst salesperson I've ever talked to," um, because I I didn't you know, try to convince him to buy what I had. I said, you know, think about it, take your time. You know, we had some conversations and you, know, you let, you let me know if you'd like to do this, like you tell me, um, and then, and then we'll decide. But I, I love that example because just, I, I think about how much time and energy and, and frustration could be saved from a lot of entrepreneurs if we were not trying to sell the pen to someone who didn't actually want a pen. <laughs> yeah. It goes like, I don't want a pen. It goes like, yeah. okay, I don't need to sell you a pen. All right. That's don't waste my time. Example. I love that. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just amazing that I just forgot that the name of the movie, it, it's really, a really good movie. It, it, it's with good. Leonardo DiCaprio. He's, okay. he's the, he's a lead role. In awesome. It. Uh, so I, I love the, um, the concept of trusted few versus yes. gigantic followers, social mm -hmm. thank you to social media, right? Yeah, right. I have a million followers, 10 million followers, 900,000 followers, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, you know, mm -hmm. even in my, in my life, I have, um, I have a trusted 
group of like 10 entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I even follow them. They follow me on social media, digital social media. But we are on each other's text message and phone call. If anything comes up, they pick up the phone and go like, Sabir, I need you to X, Y, Z. And I do the same thing. You know, Mm -hmm. hey, I I have this person who's trying to build a Shopify store. You know, Mm -hmm. they're not on my network at all in any of my social networks. Yeah. So what are your thoughts around that? Like trusted few, like it's your inner circle. That's your 10 people. That's your Mm -hmm. mastermind group, whatever you want to call them. And then you have these gigantic followers that, uh, you know, all the prophets and messengers and Bible would be very proud of, you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yes. I love your example. And yeah, I call it the trusted few versus the ambiguous many. And I I love what you're pointing to. You know, I think about it as, so sometimes when I'm talking with clients and colleagues and friends and I I absolutely struggle with this myself, you know, this idea of what, what will other people think? What, what do other people think or what will they think? And the idea is like, who are these other people? (laughs) Who is your, they like, um, like, it's very nebulous, right? Like, um, who are these people you speak of? And so it's this idea of moving from this ambiguous, nebulous, amorphous group of people to who are the people whose opinion you actually care about? You know, if, if, if those people read this email, um, how, how might it land for them? You know, um, exactly like you're saying, your trusted entrepreneurs, your mastermind people, your inner circle, your friends, family, whatever it is. And, um, what I like to do is actually write down the names of who those people are and think about, okay, these are my trusted few. And if I'm navigating a decision or, um, you know, trying to figure out how to word something to kind of think about, like, let me imagine sending it to these people, or let me ask these people, what do they think about it and get their opinion versus getting so caught up in this idea of the ambiguous many. And I think your point about social followers is such a good one. Um, you know, this is another analysis that I have run in my business. So yes, I'm on Instagram. I'm, cu- I'm currently on on Instagram and LinkedIn. And um, you know, to your point, there's all this shenanigans now about like how many Instagram followers do people have? And do, you know, I, I work with new business owners sometimes. And it's like, do I need to be on social media? And I have to have a presence and blah blah blah. And when I go through and look at where does my business come from, it almost none of my business comes from Instagram. Like it comes from referrals. It comes from you know trusted people telling other trusted people about the work that I do and. So not that there's anything wrong with social media, but um, sometimes I think about for people who are spending just tons of time and energy on that, like, is that actually driving your business? And for some people it is, of course, it is a huge driver and it's a a source of, you know, um, client connections, but for a lot of people, it's actually not. So we're spending all this time and energy on something that at the end of the day, you know, might not actually move the needle um, in the way that we think it is. You know, one example I want to, I want to use, and then I want to move on to the next uh, uh, question I want to ask you. It's, it's like me and my daughter. My, my mm. daughter is uh, now, she will be, tomorrow is her birthday. She will be 23. Oh, wow. And, um, and, and my son too. I have twins, uh, oh, and girl, 23 years old. Wow. Thank you. Uh, the, um, so when my daughter is with me uh, in the front seat of the car, I, I, I'm one of those guys, like, what's the guy's name? J- J- uh, James Gordon? Gordon? The guy who sings in the car? I don't know him. I'm, I'm really bad with late night show. So I, I put on my music and I sing along as I'm, as I'm driving, I'm singing along and loud and I might be even Mm -hmm. dancing and stuff. It was like, dad, dad, what are they going to say? Yeah. Who's they? I I don't, I don't ever going to see that lady. I have no idea who she is. I've lived (laughs) here for 35 years. I have no idea who she is. Do you know her? Is she your teacher, gym teacher, whatever? What what, what is she to you? Mm -hmm. Like, why do you care? Right. Enjoy your time. Dance in the car. Oh, you know? Nobody's oh. watching, you know, yeah. you know, nobody cares. Right. Yeah. But I think a lot of people, they just uh, um, have this notion that everybody, you know, it is true. Like we don't live in a society anymore that there is privacy. There, right. Privacy doesn't exist. So that's true. But at the same time, that also when there is no privacy, you could internalize and you could actually have your own privacy, your own uh, you know, baseline and, and what you, your own foundation, you don't have to believe in other people's opinion. It's just an mm. opinion that yeah. the more you mess with that, the more you're messing with yourself, you know, and, yes. and, and it's a horrible thing. You know, it's just focus on you and what whoever says whatever, it doesn't matter. 
mm. their opinion, it means zero. <laughs> you know? Yes. Literally yes. nothing, you know? Oh, it's so true. I just read, um, I was just reading in uh, Tara Schuster's new book. Uh, she said something like chasing other people's opinions is a, it's like a hustle that you can't keep up. And I, I liked the way that she worded that. And, you know, I'm a very sensitive person and I, I totally have to work on this every single day. I, I grew up in a family that, you know, we're very um, mindful of like, I, I, I would say maybe our family had like people pleasing tendencies, our whole family does. And so it's absolutely something that, that I have to work on. Um, but I love your car dancing example, because to me, that's such a cool example of you are connecting to yourself and like you're connecting to your own joy. And like, I imagine when you're dancing in the car, that helps you show up in a better way in the rest of your day and out in the world. And it's like, how can we find those practices that like connect us to our core self and then we can go out in the world from that place rather than like, you know, from this place of what are people thinking or, um, you know, what, what, what might they uh, or all the people think of me? By the way, there's no day. Yeah. <laughs> in any case, in my experience, by the way, right. because I, I face the day question when, when mm. I'm growing these businesses and I'm helping my clients, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, they wouldn't accept it. Who's they? Who yeah. did you survey? Hundred people, and they mm -hmm. give you their opinion. What was their makeup? You know, yeah. male, yep. female, age right, group, right. You know, income yes. or geography. Yes. Tell me more about this day. Yeah. Paint the picture for me so I know who Lisa is. You know, yeah. And yep. who's Simon? And who's who's Farouk and Mohammed and right. whoever? I want to yep. know those day, day people. Those hundred people. I want to know know them. I know. I want to know more about them mm -hmm. uh, because it's possible that you may have surveyed the hundred wrong people altogether. Yeah. Yep. You know, mm. if, if you put the survey up on, on, uh, on Instagram and just about anybody can follow you, right. How relevant is their opinion to the decision you want to make by investing, I don't know, a couple of million dollars in this product development. Yes. <laughs> yes. I totally want to like stand up and applause, applaud for that because I think you're totally right. And not that there's anything wrong with doing surveys, but I, I a hundred percent agree. It's like, why are we asking the opinion of like all these random people out there? Like they might not be our clients. And, um, I work with, you know, leaders inside organizations on this too, where I'm a big fan of like culture surveys and that kind of thing. And also like, are we making sure that we're getting feedback from our strong performers and like like, are are there ways in which we might be um, overvaluing some of the louder voices that um, where, where maybe they're not our strongest performers? Or to your point, the person on the Instagram survey, have they ever bought one product from you before? Like, <laughs> do they do they, you know, subscribe to your newsletter, whatever it is? Or is it just random Joe Schmo who, like, decided to click on a survey? So I love I love that. <laughs> or, or your competition trying to yes, put yes. you in the wrong path altogether. So to waste yes. your marketing dollars and mm -hmm. everything else, you know. Mm -hmm. Yes. yes. I mean, that's that's a that's an important lesson there for entrepreneurs. Like they really need to one, they need to pick up your book. Right. Number two, mm -hmm. they need to know, like uh, truly understand, like what they're testing. Yes. Make sure that they understand what what it is. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. You sent the survey out to 10,000 people. It's yep. the wrong 10,000 people. You know? exactly. Oh, I yes. worked hard. Great. I'm so sorry that you worked hard, but you sent it to the wrong people. You were in the wrong forest, cutting down the wrong trees. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think you're so right. And, you know, it's like maybe like for me anyway, I would rather have five conversations with five of my most trusted CEOs that I work with and get their opinion versus like send out a thousand, a thousand surveys because I trust those people and I trust what they have to say. And so I love that idea. It's like, yeah, of, of being being in the wrong forest or, you know, I think of it as are you are you working are you working harder at the wrong thing? It's like, <laughs> where's the right for us? Where's the right thing? And how can you be really focused in those efforts? So I, I love what you're saying. Uh, one of the concepts that you talk about is eagle versus uh, seagull, right? Um, so how do we as entrepreneurs, you know, get stuck in a pattern of acting like a seagull, but you, you should define what seagull and versus eagle is, you know, and, and how do we get out of the way of, of this way of operating? Absolutely. And this is actually, you know, ties nicely to what we we're just talking about with social media. So the idea, and this is something I hear a lot, um, you know, working in the corporate world where, so we're, you know, we're, we're going about our business. If, if I'm working with a team, you know, team members going about their business, they're doing their thing, they're, you know, working on whatever, they're having a great day, blah, blah, blah. And then their manager comes by and, um, uh, in, in the way of a seagull uh, drops a dropping on their team member, and then they just keep flying by. Um, I hear this a lot with, you know, entrepreneurs and small businesses as well. Um, you know, a lot of 
I'll put us, I'll, I'll say we in this category of, you know, entrepreneurs or business owners, we have a lot of ideas. So the founder is just thinking about stuff. They want to have new ideas. They come by, we're like, we should do this, 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 this. And then they fly by, you know, drop those droppings on their team members. And then they just keep flying. And then the team member is like, what the heck just happened here? Like, um, you know, <laughs> whoa. whoa. <laughs> so that's the idea of a seagull is, you know, flying by, dropping droppings on on those below us. Um, and then, you know, we just keep flying by. Uh, another way in which we might act, act as a seagull is we get, we get really hooked or triggered by something that's happening right in front of us. So, you know, to the example of social media, we go on social media, we see something, it's like, oh crap, maybe I should do this, or I'm outraged by this, or I need to go do this now because my competitor's doing this, blah, blah, blah. You know, we get hooked and we go down, we, we swoop down as a seagull. And the invitation with this idea is, how can we act as an eagle instead? So um, instead of swooping down or dropping droppings on the people below us, how can we fly above the clouds? How can we keep the, the big picture in mind? And rather than, you know, reacting in a way that, you know, where we're, where we're triggered or where we're making impulsive decisions, um, we're responding very consciously based on, you know, what's needed and what's happening around us. So um, I kind of think about this as like we're taking the helicopter view where, we're looking at the whole picture of things and we're looking at, okay, from this bigger picture, you know, more strategic perspective, what do I need to do in this moment? Um, and sometimes that's nothing, you know, or sometimes it's wait. Sometimes it's pause um, rather than, you know, dropping the dropping or swooping down and getting hooked by something that is maybe urgent but not as important. You know, an example that came to my mind was um, uh, I'm really bad with names. I apologize mm. if, if I get the name wrong. Uh, the founder of Basecamp, you know, the mm, software Jason that Freed, yeah. Jason, Jason mm -hmm. Fried, yeah, that's yeah. I, I thought it was Justin Fried, but Jason, thank that's you for close, correcting yeah. me. Uh, yeah, he I read his book, incredible yeah. book. Every, every entrepreneur should read it. Yes. You know, it talks about like how you need to figure out. I mean, it's along the same lines of this eagle mentality mm -hmm. that um, your customers will keep on telling you to yes. go down a certain path. You don't need to. Yep. You don't need to. Like keep it, if the goal is to keep it simple and you want to, because the thing is every feature, if this Basecamp agreed to, to it, that means that he, uh, Jason needed to build an organization to handle that issue with, with that feature, right? Yeah. To provide the right level of support, continue to upgrade it, continue to stay on top of it, blah, blah, blah. Not necessary. Yeah. Does that really have an impact, right? on my client's business when they have to do their project management, document management, content management, all of these kinds of things that the, their tool allows you to do and with your workflows and stuff like that, does it give them the biggest impact if I were to introduce that feature? Mm -hmm. If the answer is no, and it's going to be a nice to have feature, you know what? We'll chalk it up. We'll write it on a, on a list. We're not working on it. Yes. And, and he even said that the hardest ones were when the bigger enterprise clients came and asked him to give me this and give me that he had to make the big decision of saying no cannot yes. that that's not on our roadmap we're not doing that <laughs> yes i think that's such a great example and you know their their most i don't know if it was their most recent book that you read um that called it doesn't have to be crazy at work and it's all about creating a calm company and i think that's such an awesome example because if and, and i hear this from my, my colleagues all the time you know if we're working in an organization where whoever it is, our founder, our leader, whatever, we're always saying yes to everything and we're always pivoting. It does not create a calm company and no one can really do their best work if we're constantly working in that elevated state. Um, so I, th I think it's an amazing example of um, pausing, looking at what serves the company and then making decisions accordingly. And, you know, they, they had a lot of press um, in the last couple of years for, for doing that once again about some ad different issues that came up in their company. And, um, basically they decided to take a stand and say, as a company, this is what we believe. We're not going to respond to some of the, um, the kind of burning fires of the moment. We're going, we're going to go on a different path. And, um, they, they got a lot of crap for that. And a lot of people left, but <laughs> to me, that was actually another example of, of embracing that eagle mentality and, and not, you know, whether people agree or disagree with that, they sort of stepped back and, and took a stand as a company um, versus like, you know, pivoting all over the place in terms of um, what they're doing in, in this given moment. So thanks for bringing that up. I think I think it's an awesome example. Sarah, you have been phenomenal. You know, I want to ask you, which I ask every single episode, every single guest that I've had, what is your number one expert insight into make, make, making an expansive impact uh, mm. from your perspective? What is that number one hundred thousand dollar expert insight? 
<laughs> I feel like that's so much pressure. Um, and I, I resist the word expert just because um, I tend to not, you know, I, I feel like I'm a curious person, but by no means an expert. Um, I, I guess I would say two things and they're related. So the first is um, no matter what is happening around us, there is always something that we can do. And it might be tiny, um, but we we can you know, create something from, from what's happening around us. So if we're feeling stuck or frustrated or, um, you know, like we don't know where to go, my, my invitation would be to think about what's the smallest possible thing that we can do in this moment, because usually there's something, even if it's super tiny. Um, and then I think much more tactically, I would say, um, and, and not everyone likes this advice, but um, get up earlier. And, and <laughs> I find that if there's something we really want to do, can we get up five minutes earlier or 10 minutes earlier and make five or 10 minutes per day to do that, um, to really move forward the thing that uh, feels most important to us in our, our leadership or our life. Amazing. Thank you, Sarah, for being on the show. And, mm, uh, thank, thank you so much, Sabir. I, I had a great time discussing this topic. It's Likewise. Like right, down, right down my personal life you know, and, and professional life. This is amazing. Thank you for being here. Thank you, audience, for joining us for another episode of This Week with Sabir. Uh, if you have missed any of the prior uh, episodes, please go to growthbysevere.com slash live show. It's a, just a short link that takes you to the YouTube channel uh, so that you can catch many amazing guests like Sarah Young here. And uh, and if I could help you double your business, uh, you can book a discovery call with me and I can help uh, with that. Sarah, thank you very much for being here. I, we, I, me and my audience, we both really appreciate you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. I loved it. And I uh, love talking with you and I'm grateful to be here. So thank you so much. Thank you.